uh, we're talking about freedom from sin. Uh, this whole series has been kind of like, uh, there's so many things we've been dealing with, and there are a lot more to deal with. But listen, if we don't deal with the sin issue, then all the rest of them are going to be, they're going to overwhelm you. So we're going to deal with the sin issue today. There's an, old, uh, there's an old Andre Crouch. Anybody remember Andre Crouch? He had this song that we used to sing to the Church of God, and it, it was just, uh, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. And I got to thinking about that song. It just, you know, songs will pop into your head. And I got to thinking about all the things that we preach and all the things that we teach as Christians. And that the answer to everything that we need is Jesus. You can just take any subject in the world, any problem you're going through, any issues that we're facing even in our culture, and Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to hatred. He's the answer to murder. He's the answer to racism. He's the answer to politics. He's the answer to hurt and pain. He's the answer to uh, needing to be healed. He's the answer for whatever you're going through today. He is the answer. So I don't know what you're going through today. God knows exactly what you're going through today. But listen, Jesus is the answer. The book, the Bible that we, this, this Bible that we read from, this is the answer. This is, if you want a self-help book, get rid of all the rest of them in your library and get this one. Get this one. This deals with every subject that we can ever imagine. Jesus was tempted just like we are in every form and every fashion. Yes, he overcame sin. And he also gave us the ability to overcome sin. Did you know that? He's the answer. He's overcome every obstacle. And you might say, well, pastor, that sounds really good. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, all these other nice little cute religious sayings that we have. Uh, just let go and let go. All those things that we say about how do we get, you know, just give it to Jesus or cast your cares upon him. And we, sometimes we don't explain that. We don't give understanding. So I pray right now for revelation for you. Just, just uh, close your eyes. Father, I pray for revelation today of the scripture. Revelation of how we can be free from sin. Because, Father, all of us deal with it. All of us sometimes struggle with it. Not any of us are immune to it. There's not one perfect in here except Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for revelation today for that person, especially those that are struggling with an, a continual sin or a habitual sin that they just can't seem to get out of it. They can't seem to get out of the pit. They love you. They know you as the Lord and Savior, but there's something that keeps pulling them in. So today, Father, I pray for revelation. I pray for revelation from your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Okay, there's a saying by, uh, that was several years ago was given, and I've used it before, and maybe you've heard it. It says this, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I'm going to read that again. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's just a little sin, but then all of a sudden it's a big sin. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. I don't, I don't want to stay. Oh, man, all of a sudden you find out you're staying in this sin a long time. And then it says, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. It will cost you a lot. Some of you know exactly what that is talking about. 
It's cost you a lot, your sin, what you've fallen into. So what is sin? Most of you have heard probably the Greek definition. Uh, it means to, it's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. If you've got a bow and arrow on that, that target, let's say it's that column, and I pull back the arrow, and, pew, and it shoots over here, so it hits the wall, then I've sinned. I've missed the target. Uh, that's what it means, miss the, miss the target. It also, it, it, and the thing about it is, uh, Romans 3.23, how many of you know that? For all, all, say all. all. For all have sinned, and what? Fall short of the glory of God. Now, I was talking to my wife about this. I said, what's the glory of God there? And I, I was thinking of something different. I thought, uh, if we just stay in the presence of God, then we won't sin. Well, that's cool. That's right. But really, when he's, that verse right there, when he says, we fall short of the glory, we fall short of his perfect judgment. It's really what it means there. You have to, sometimes you've got to get, dig a little bit to find what, what those mean. And we have all those tools now that nobody should uh, be exempt from finding out what these things mean. But it means we fall for, short of his perfect judgment because we will never get there. We will never hit the target by ourselves. We can shoot all day long at the target. We're going to miss it. Only Jesus was the one that hit the target. He's the perfect one, the sinless one. There are other meanings that uh, what sin is in the Greek. It means to, to be without a share in. Or to be mistaken, to do wrong. There's just a lot of definitions. There are sins of commission. That means you've deliberately sinned. Anybody in here deliberately sinned before? Everybody's hand ought to go up. Anybody ever deliberately sinned? God said, don't do that, and you did it anyway. Come on, raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. Unless you haven't taken a bath. Okay. And then there's the sin of omission. A lot of people don't like to talk about omission. We just talk about the things that we, you know, in James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. <whistles> now, how many of you are perfect in this room? How many of you can, can say, oh, I, I've always, I, when there's something I know it's supposed to be, it's good to do, I, I always do it. No, no, you don't. Do we all? No, we don't. That's why we're going to talk about grace just a little bit. So we, we have defined sin. Uh, there's another scripture. I didn't, I didn't print it out, but there's another scripture that says, what is, what is not of faith is sin. I said, oh my goodness. How many times do we walk through the day and we're not exercising our faith? We're not walking in faith. We're just walking. We're just doing our thing. We're just pleasing ourselves. How many know that we please ourselves sometimes? Come on. Are, are there just a few people that are honest in here? How many of you, most of us know that most of the day we go through when we're looking to please ourselves? Come on, church. Let's be honest. We can't get past and get to the place God wants us to be unless we're really honest with Him. And you know what? He already knows everything about us anyway, so why not be honest with Him? You know why we don't, we're not honest with God? Because we don't want to be honest with ourselves. We like to mask things over. We like to pretend, oh, that was just a mistake. And we like to cover it up. But listen, we can't get healed until it's exposed. So now that we've defined what sin is, let's talk about how we become victorious over sin. How many of you here today like to win? Not your liberty. I want to win. It's like win, W-E-E-E-E-N. Win. I want to win. But doesn't everybody like to win? You don't even have to have a competitive spirit, but you like to win at, at, at board games. How many of you like to win the board game? How many of you like to win? You're shooting horse with your kids and you want to win. I know Mark wants to win. You, you just, we just, we're, that's built within us that we like to win. 
How many of you would like to win the lottery? Oh, Pastor, I'm not going to raise my hand because I don't play the lottery. But look, oh, come on. <laughs> but we want to win, right? That's just, that's our nature. Because God made us to be winners. Did you know that? He built, he, he's made us to want to overcome. He's made us to want to excel. He's made us to want to win in this thing called life. And how many of you here this morning get so frustrated? Frustrated when that sin that you thought you had buried, that sin you thought you had overcome, somehow it creeps in like an old girlfriend. Your marriage being married 20 years and everything's kind of going okay, but she don't look as good as she used to. And you go, you go to the reunion and there's that girl you used to date. Man, she's looking good. Woo! That's how, that's how the old man works. Not though, just the old woman. That's how, it's, it's, how, it's how the devil works. You, you think you're, you're, you're walking it out, you're living it out, and all of a sudden he sends somebody. And you look back and go, oh, wow, wow. And, and how many times do you hear these stories, church, of people that have fallen back into sin, that were walking free from sin because they gave in to sin again? Oh, that rhymed, didn't it? <laughs> but I want here, I'm here to tell you something really incredible. Grace wins. Grace! Come on, say Grace! See, in, in chapter 5, I'm going to be looking at chapter 6. We're going to do the whole, almost the whole chapter. So stay with me this morning. But I want to encourage you to go back and read chapter 5 of Romans. Today, if you possibly can. It doesn't take long to read one chapter, believe me. But he talks about, Paul's talking about grace, this thing called grace. And he's talking about what, you know, you know what the, really the definition of grace is? The grace of God, it's the goodness of God. That's simply, that's the best definition. People like God's riches at Christ's expense. That's great. But the, really, the word grace just means the goodness of God. So when we sing that song, goodness of God, it's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God that saved us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And he made a way for us. And it's by faith we're saved through grace. Not, it's by grace we're saved through faith, not of works, lest anybody should boast. So it's grace. We, we have to step into this thing called grace. And Paul has been teaching about grace. But all of a sudden he thinks, well, maybe I've gone overboard. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking maybe he thinks that. It doesn't say that. But the way he addresses it would make you think he thinks that. You following me? He, he, he's explained grace. And now we've got, even in our country and in our culture, we've got this hyper grace message that goes out. And people are taking grace, and I don't see how they get to that place when they read Scripture. You know, there's one man, and there's one man, and I can't remember his name as I was studying, preparing for this. He, he thought, the more that I sin, the more grace will be exercised to me. And so that makes me closer to God because I'm repenting all the time. You laugh. But there are people that think that twisted, perverted thinking. So Paul's having to address that, believe it or not. And, and so I'm going to just read one verse in Romans 5. This is Paul speaking. I'm going to be reading from the Passion of the Day. And he said, one man's disobedience, that was Adam. Say Adam. Adam. That's the first man. First Adam. He opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. Adam opened the door for sin. Remember when he rebelled in the garden. When he chose the wrong thing. So also one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the second Adam, opened the door for many, for many. Not everybody's going to get there because a lot of people have already rejected him. 
for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to Him. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus, in the goodness of God, made a way for us through the cross to come to Jesus Christ and to be forgiven of all of our sins. That's grace. So now let's look at Romans 6, and we're going to go through this rather quickly, so hang on with me. Remember, go back and read chapter 5 today. So this is Paul. He's addressing the church at Rome. And so he says, so what shall we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. God forbid. He read it in any translation. It's like, are you kidding me? This is what he's saying. God forbid. What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, that's baptism, and that's immersed in the blood, the baptism of the blood, the anointed one, that's Jesus, the Christ, were immersed into union with his death. We don't like to talk about we were were immersed with him in his death, but we were. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried with him so that when the Father's glory raised, raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We're buried with Christ in baptism. What? Raised to walk in in this newness of life. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered. Say empowered. So we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted, I love that, into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life, say new life, that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever? Listen to this. You're going to get excited about this. Our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power. You ought to get excited about that. There's no more power of sin in your life once you give your life to Jesus. Do you understand that? The only power that sin has in your life is what you give to it. But he's already conquered it, church. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. That's God's plan for your life. That's God's plan for my life. That's God's plan for every believer. That we are no longer living under the power of sin because we are dead to it. We're empowered to keep winning. We're empowered. Say, I'm empowered to keep winning. This is about winning. It's about winning today. Winning this battle that we're all facing, this battle that we're in day by day by day. It's obvious that God does not want us to live in sin, isn't it? Wouldn't you agree with that? That's why it's imperative. Listen to me, church. It's imperative to, to you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you better get in these waters quickly. These people that go, well, I'm, I, I'm saved, but you know, I'm going to think about baptism. Well, stop thinking about it. Because if you're already considering not getting baptized, you're not, you need to understand, maybe I'm not saved yet. Yeah. It's the first thing that God asks us to do after we're saved is to get baptized. He knows there's such an importance about being baptized. And say, sometimes I don't think we, we get that across to you, but scriptures are very clear about why it's important to be baptized. And when he says we're empowered 
to, to walk in the freshness of new life. Why are we empowered? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same power. So when we give our life to Christ, we submit to Him, we surrender to Him. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit lives in us. I don't even know that we can grasp that, church. But I want you to try. I want you to try. Look at verse 7. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. Right? You know, we were dead. The Bible says we were dead in our sins. Right? Before we came to Christ, we were dead in our sins. Now we're dead as believers, or we're dead to sin. Look at the rest. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same with you. So let it be the same with you, he's saying. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually, say continually, Ooh, this, is, this, is, this doesn't feel good. This, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. The third thing I want you to see this morning is that dying is winning. That doesn't make sense at all. You know, there's so many things in the Bible that are contradictory to our culture and what our culture teaches. Man, living, man, we're going to live, we're going to win. No, dying is winning in the kingdom. When you understand dying to yourself, dying to sin, it makes you a winner, makes you successful, makes you an overcomer, then you'll start thinking, I'm gonna need to, I need to think of myself as dead. And that means if you're thinking of yourself dead, then you've got to think of Christ living in you and through you. makes a big difference. So we must continually view ourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin. Sin doesn't, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not moved by that. I'm not moved by that temptation. That's not me. That's the old dead. I'm, that, that one's dead. I'm alive in Christ. He, I, he, I, I move, I have my being, it's in Christ Jesus. That's, who I, that's how I live, that's how I think. And, and sometimes we think, but how, how do we do that? Well, he answers it in that same verse, while living daily for God's pleasure in union with, the, with Jesus, the anointed one. So you've got to do this thing called daily living with Jesus. It's not Sunday and then next Sunday and then next Sunday. It's not when I feel good. It's not when things are going right. It's when, it's when you wake up on Monday morning and you got bad breath. You don't feel that good. You don't really want to go to work. And you know, what? Are, are you gonna, is Jesus there with you that morning? Of course he is. Do you acknowledge him though? Do you say, God, today I, I don't feel so good. And, but God, I know you're giving me the strength today to get up. And I'm going to go and I'm going to be a witness for you. See, when, when we set our day in motion, you need to set your day in motion every day, every morning when you wake up. Say, I'm, I'm going with God today. Dying is winning. Dying to yourself, dying to sin, dying to the old person makes you a winner. Luke 9, 23 says, Jesus said this to his followers. If you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your own life completely. Embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. There's, that's living. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. Anybody know what that means? You try to hang on to the world and you lose it anyway. 
Even if you gained all the wealth and the power of this world and all the things it could offer you, yet lost your soul in the process, what good is that? How many of you know rich people that are miserable? Ooh. Well, get them saved and so they can bring their tithe into the storehouse. Gee. A lot of hands went up. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Man, he, he's serious about this dying thing. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Say, by faith. Everything we do is by faith, church. He said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You really want to live this morning? You really want to have a life of success? You want to have a life of victory in Christ? Then you need to die to yourself. We got this saying, you, hear it, you used to hear it all the time. Oh, that dress is to die for. Oh, that guy, man, he's to die for. We use that term so like flippantly, it's to die for. No, really, only Jesus is to die for. Quit saying that. All that other is just junk. It's just temporary. But Jesus is forever. If you want to die for someone, die for Jesus Christ. And in the process, you have to die to yourself. Amen? Amen. Isn't this popular? Die, die, die. <laughs> Verse 12. Sin is a dethroned monarch. Woo! I like that. Sin is a dethroned monarch. A monarch is a, is a ruler over a kingdom. See, before you came to Christ, there was another ruler over your kingdom. He was the enemy. He was Satan. He was the devil. He's Beelzebub. He's all those bad. He's Lucifer. And you served under that kingdom of darkness. And now when you come to Christ, it says sin, because of the cross, is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. I want to stop right there. Because here, here's what a lot of us do. We, we want to live the Christian life. We think we're going to try and, and we're going to do this thing. And then God, and then we go back into the same places. We start listening to the same music. We start watching the same things that we used to watch. We start playing the same games we used to play. All of a sudden, those things start creeping back in. Are y'all following me? And you're giving an opportunity back to the enemy to come back in. You're opening those doors that have been shut. Oh, it should got quiet in here. Got real quiet all of a sudden. Because you know what? We've all done it. We've all opened those doors. Hello? Hello. Sorry, you've reached the wrong number. So you place yourselves in places where the, you give the enemy an, an opportunity to put his foot back in the door. You do that. You do that. Devil doesn't. He can't kick the door down. You have to crack it open for him. We'll talk about that in a minute. So no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So, men, so then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Refuse, refuse, refuse. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. Have you experienced resurrection life? Well, I think so. We're going to have a great altar call today. <laughs> See, if you're not sure, you need to come down this morning and get saved. Amen? So you've got you to change you, who you're yielding your body to. As one who's now experienced resurrection life, you live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. I like that phrase, we serve at the pleasure of the king. 
That's what they say in the White House. All the people that work in the White House. Well, I serve at the pleasure of the president. We serve at the pleasure of the king, Jesus. That's what we serve him. To please him. Your life is not about you anymore. I know we think it is. And that's where that struggle comes in. I want me to be happy. And you, usually happiness is temporary. If you want to be full of joy, then you've got to find your place in Christ. So the fourth thing I want you to see is that we're, if you're going to be victorious, you've got, you got to change teams. We're changing teams. You've been for Team G, uh, Satan, now you're for Team Jesus, right? Because when you become a believer, you're on the best team. You're on God's team. You're in God's army. You're, you're on His side. Everything changes. Everything changes. Your identity, your purpose, your actions, your goals in life all become new. And, so, and that's a process, I understand, because we don't, we don't understand it and get it all right at the, at the get-go. We don't come out of that water and like, woohoo, I'm perfect now. No, we're only perfect because of the blood of Jesus. But in our perfection, it's still being worked out. We'll work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. But, you know, once you get out of that water, guess what? The enemy does not leave you alone. The old man doesn't leave you alone, does he? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anybody here ever backslid before? Okay, now some, y'all are starting to get honest with me. I talked to a young man this morning. He's talking about, well, I've, I've, I've been kind of a prodigal. Yeah, I said, who hasn't? You know? You and, I said, you and the millions of others are, have been prodigals. We've all stepped away at one time. So maybe not everybody. But most everybody has at least come, fallen back into habitual sin. Would, it, would that be a fair thing to say? James 1.12 says this, If your faith remains strong, even when surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. When you are tempted, don't ever say God is tempting me, for God is incapable of being tempted by evil and He is never the source of temptation. God will never tempt you to do wrong, church. Instead, listen to this, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions, and when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. He said there's, 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 there's ways to step away from sin and walk in victory. And so, you know what we do so many times? We blame the devil. That's the best way to get out of it. We like to play the blame game. Well, the devil made me do it. Flip Wilson, y'all remember that? The devil made me do it. I refer to things that y'all don't even know. The devil made me do it. It was a, it was a comedy routine you said it. Well, the devil don't make you do anything. It's, he says it right here. Your own desires, your own thoughts drag you back into evil. So stop blaming him because you're on the winning team now. Right? James 4, I got to read this. This is good. James 4, 4. Now, this is where James is addressing the church, and he said, man, what's causing all these quarrels and fights and disputes and all these things going on in the church? He said, you have become spiritual adulterers. Woo, that's kind of strong language. Who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Now, listen to this, this verse. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? What is flirting? Hey. How you doing? Sure like that dress. I see you. You look nice. Ooh, you smell good. Flirt. Anybody ever flirt with anybody? 
You know when you're a kid and you're flirting with a girl? Uh, y'all remember that? You, you'd meet, be mean to them, and you thought that was flirting. <laughs> the girls didn't understand that at all. Like, he's mean to me. No. And then the parents say, no, he's flirting with you. And the guys, can I get a witness? Shoot. <laughs> Thank you, David, for backing me up. I got one. But listen, let me read that again. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? In other words, don't play around with sin. Don't open the door to sin. Does, does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us? He is jealous for you. He is jealous for me. We sing that song. Do you understand what that means? He loves us so much. He don't want to share you with the devil. So quit flirting with the devil. But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Verse 7, so then... Surrender to God, stand up to the devil, and resist him, and he will flee in agony. We like to say, resist the devil, and he will flee. No, that's not what it says. Submit to God first. Then you resist him. Then he has to flee. You've got to submit to God. Surrender. Die to yourself. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners. He's talking to the church here. He said, make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin. Be sorrowful and weep. Let your joking around be turned into mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and your joy into deep humiliation. But be willing to be made low before the Lord, and He will exalt you. One of the issues that I believe keeps us from walking in, 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 in the victory and not falling back into sin is that we've lost this fear of God. Oh, that's just a reverential thing. You're no, look it up. It means to be afraid of Him. Oh, he's a loving God. He's a good, good father. Why would I be afraid of him? Because he's God. We need to have a healthy fear, a healthy reverence, whatever you want to say. But we have to know this. God created you, the Bible says, and he can take you out whenever he wants to. He doesn't have to have our permission. Sometimes, I know, I know he, what a friend we have in Jesus. But he's our, he's our friend. He's all these things, but he's also God. He's not the man upstairs. I just don't like that phrase. I hear it. Maybe you say it, but quit saying it. He's not the man upstairs. He's Jehovah. He's Almighty God. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We need to have a healthy. Listen, it says this here. Feel the pain of your sin. We also, we've come to that place now where we get immune to it. We've compromised so many times that it doesn't bother us anymore when we sin. We don't feel the pain of it. We don't have the sorrow. We don't have that godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. God hates sin. And if God hates it, guess what? We're supposed to hate it too. But we coddle it. We hide it. We live it. We embrace it. And he said, no, be sorry for it. 
Quit joking around about it. It's serious. Sin is serious. Sin separates us from the fellowship of God. Not from our salvation, but from fellowship with Him. Matthew 10, 28 says, Don't be in fear of those who can kill. This is Jesus. Who can kill only your body, but not your soul. Fear only God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Oh, He's a wonderful Savior, but He's also judge. Guess what? I'm, you may have forgotten this, but there's still consequences to your sins as Christians. Right? There's still consequences. He says he, lo- he disciplines those he what? Loves. He's calling, he's our children. My, my dad disciplined me. He loved me. He disciplined me. Listen, if you're not disciplining your children, you're not showing them much love. If you just let them do what they want to do, you're not showing them much love. Lazy, you're a lazy parent. <laughs> I better get back on topic. How are we doing? Oh, goodness. Okay, well, here we go. Verse 14. Remember this. Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. Spurgeon said this. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. If you're hanging on to grace and there's no change in your life, then you're probably hanging on to the wrong thing. Quit, quit using the grace card to, to live a life of sin. Quit it. You're, bringing, you're, you're giving God a bad name. Verse 15. Am I preaching yet? Yes. Okay. What are we to do then? Should we send our hearts? He's already, going to, he's already addressed this once, and he's, he's going to make sure they understand. What are we to do then? Are we to send in our hearts? Uh, since should we send our hearts content since there's no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought, he says again. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? It just frees you. But choose carefully. Say, choose carefully. Choose For you surrender yourself to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master, and it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, He will lead you into perfect righteousness. Fifth thing is win or lose, it's your choice. At the end of this service, we're going to give an invitation. It's your choice. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can walk out of here and go do whatever you want to. And if you never choose Him, then you'll go to hell. It's just, just the truth. If you never choose Him, you'll go to hell. And I'm telling you, hell's not going to be a place you want to go. It, whatever you can imagine being the most horrible thing you could ever experience, multiply it times a billion and you might get close. But it's your choice. He says it in his the, the word over and over and over. Choose you this day, you must serve. Ask for me in my house. Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. You got to choose. Parents, you got to choose. Children, you got to choose. You can't, parents, you can't, you can't make your children get saved. You can sure lead them to that. You can lead them to the well. You can lead them to the water. But they got to drink. They got to make that choice. I remember way back, I, I was, I liked the, all kinds of music. I, I would listen to all sorts of music. Beatles, uh, Paul Bear and the Raiders, Creed and Clear. I, I mean, I had all sorts of music. Christian music mixed in there, you know. But I was always one because there was no cool Christian music when I was young. Y'all know what I'm talking about, older folks, all you senior saints? <laughs> I mean, just no, no cool music. And then I, I heard Bob Dylan came out with a Christian album. He got saved. I heard Bob Dylan got saved. 
I never did like him anyway. I mean, I thought, he's got the worst voice in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. <laughs> but I would, listen, I would listen to it because he was singing about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, serve somebody. He's kind of a cross between Willie Nelson and Mick Jagger, I don't know, but... But I, I was digging, I was trying to find some Christian music. But there was a, such a truth in that song. You may serve the devil, go to hell, but one way or the other, you're going to serve somebody. One way or the other, you're going to serve somebody. It's your choice. Verse 17. And thanks be to God, for in the past you were servants of sin, but now your obedience is heart deep. And your life is being molded by truth through the teaching you are devoted to. And now you celebrate your freedom from your former master's sin. You've left its bondage. And now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servants. I've used the familiar terms of a servant and a master to compensate for your weakness to understand. For just as you surrendered your bodies and souls to impurity and lawlessness, the past, which only brought more lawlessness in your lives. So now surrender yourselves as servants of righteousness, which brings you deeper into true holiness. For when you were bound as servants to sin, you lived your lives free from any obligation to righteousness. Now, I want to just, there's a lot there, but I want to focus on this thing, winning declarations. We've been talking about that a lot. We still have them. We pass them out. We talk about, I, I, there's not a sermon that goes out from this pulpit, even Brother Ed, anybody else that speaks, that we don't talk about the power of our words, the power of our declarations. And there is power in your words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, okay? And when I looked at this, he's talking about all these things, dying, 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 and all this. And then he comes to this part, and he says, but this is who you are. This is who we are, church. And he, I pulled out these declarations that you can get from these four verses. He says, Paul says this, I walk in obedience. Say, I walk in obedience. I, walk in obedience. I am learning the truth. Say that. I am, the I am no longer in bondage to sin. God's righteousness holds power over me. I am a servant of God. I, of God. I walk in holiness. See, those declarations, that's just a few. They're all through the Word of God. We have them on paper that you can get and start making these declarations over your life so you know that, he, that the old man is dead and you're walking in this new life, this new speech, this new, these new actions that portray Jesus Christ and not the enemy. So finally, last verse, last verses. So let me tell you, this is verse 21. So tell me, what benefit ensued from doing those things that you're now ashamed of. What are the benefits of sin? Whew. If it left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. But now as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. There are benefits to knowing Jesus. Whew. You're brought into deeper into the experience of the true holiness that ends with eternal life. For sin's meager wages, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But God's lavish gift, say lavish gift, is life eternal found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Freedom from sin, we win. Amen? We win. You know, sin is a liar. Sin is a loser. I preach many, I've been 
preached a lot of funerals in my 23 years as a pastor. Talk about legacy a lot. And, and I know there are pastors in here that done, have done funerals. You know, the funeral you don't want to do for is somebody's lost. That you have no inkling that they ever gave their life to Christ. And I, I would never say that from the pulpit. I would never condemn somebody to hell. It's not my job. I try to find something good that they, you know, something in their life. But you can even read their obituaries. And there's nothing about Jesus, nothing about church, nothing about faith, nothing about anything. You say, like, oh, are they saved? Are they saved? Are they? You just don't know. Because there's no legacy there except a legacy of shame and death. It's what he says here. It's a legacy of shame and death. What do you want your legacy to be, church? Do you want your legacy to be faith or fear? Do you want your legacy to be the goodness of God or do you want your legacy to be the badness of the devil? You, you know, I've, done, I've seen these funerals. Oh, boy, he would like to party. He sure did like to party. Man, if that's my legacy, shoot me now. And you, you keep, man, there wasn't a party unless old Harold showed up. <laughs> he could really knock him down, couldn't he? Y'all know people like that? Okay, I'm just trying to make it real. Sin is a liar, sin is a loser. Stop giving power to sin. Because it doesn't have any power over you. Only what you give it. I'm going to close with this story. I don't usually do this, but I found this, and then it just touched me. So ministry team, get ready. We might be here a little longer than normal. In the 14th century, two brothers fought for the right to rule over a dukedom, which is now in, which is Belgium. The elder brother's name was Reynald, but he was commonly called Crassus, a Latin nickname meaning fat, for he was horribly obese. After a heated battle, Renal's younger brother Edward led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of Duke over his lands. The younger brother took over. But instead of killing his older brother Renald, Edward devised a curious imprisonment. He had a room in the castle built around Crassus, a room with only one door. The door was not locked, the windows were not barred, and Edward, listen to this, he promised Reynald that he could regain his land and his title any time that he wanted to. All he would have to do is leave the room. The obstacle to freedom was not in the doors or the windows, but with Reynald himself. Being grossly overweight, he could not fit through the door, even though it was of near normal size. All Reynold needed to do to get back his kingdom was to diet and get down to a smaller size and he could walk out of free men and get everything back. However, his younger brother kept sending him an assortment of tasty foods. And Reynold's desire to be free never won over his desire to eat <laughs> all those desserts. Some would accuse Duke Edward of being cruel to his older, older brother, but he would simply reply, My brother is not a prisoner. He may leave when he so wills. But Reynald stayed in that room for ten years until Edward himself was killed in battle. And then he later died of health reasons. Go figure. Unfortunately, this accurately describes the experience of many Christians. 
Jesus has set them free forever, legally, and that they may walk in that freedom from sin whenever they choose. But since they keep yielding their body to their own appetites, to the service of sin, they live a life of defeat, discouragement, and imprisonment. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? If you're in prison today, it's of your own making. It's of your own making. If you're in bondage to sin today, it's of your own making. You've accepted it and you're living in it. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I've made a way for you through my son Jesus. Come to, the, come to the cross. Some of you in prison today to sin. Some of you are in bondage to sin and habitual sin. You, you love Jesus, but you just have a hard time dying to yourself. Just stand.